0: Hello again from Paul and Rachel on the 21st of December, and it's Here Comes Christmas.
1: It is, and today is Monday, and last night would have seen all the carol services in the churches, wouldn't they?
0: Yeah, and uh, crikey, everything is locked down firm and tightly again, isn't
1: it? Yeah, really sad that carol services aren't going ahead, all very unfortunate.
0: Uh, Just changing the subject, have we dealt with all the Christmas cards this year so far? Have we? Um, Yes. Is it my imagination or have we had less printed cards this year?
1: Yes, we have had less printed cards. Is it because we have less friends (laughs) (laughs) or or are we getting more e-cards? We've had more e-cards. We've had more of the Jackie Lawson cards. Right which are lovely and i just wish you could capture them and put them somewhere to remind yourself of what they were and the sound and yes they're so they're so sweet
0: you can't hang them around the tree or anything can you no
1: yeah. you can't no yeah. no um i looked her up actually and she's an incredibly interesting lady mm-hmm. who was just a bit of an artist and she set up this huge great company and um She's doing incredibly well for herself. We pay a subscription to be able to send them. And, you know... When you have to decide which one to send, you can actually spend hours going through them all and thinking. It's a bit like John Rutter carols, you know, you listen to one and you think, oh, I really like that. And then I'll just listen to one more. Oh, I like that even more. And you can't work out which is your favourite. So I was
0: idly looking at the cards that we have got. Mm. And uh, I noticed about six or seven of them have Robins on. Yes. And I wanted What's so special about robins? Because you don't actually see that many at Christmas. So I looked it up. Mm. And apparently robins were first used on Christmas cards as a bit of a joke in in the late 19th century because the early postmen of the time used to wear red tunics, red jackets. Oh, right, yes. And... This was a kind of a bit of a, uh, a sideways glance at postmen at the time, and uh, that's how they first appeared on cards.
1: Right.
0: So that's a bit of a I don't know what you call useless it. Information, useless right? information. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, looking, talking of history, then have mm. we got anything
1: uh, notable that happened on this day? Well, it's interesting that in 1872, Phileas Fogg completed his round-the-world trip.
0: In Jules in Verne's story, days, yes. Around the World in 80 Days.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah that's a really clever story, actually, but, uh, when you you read it. Of course, a lot of the technology at the time made it possible that the, the Suez Canal was opened at that time and the railways were uh, connecting parts of the world. So it was a cutting-edge story at the time.
1: And it all relies on the difference in time, doesn't it? Because he arrives back a day... before he thought he'd arrived Clever twist at the (laughs)
0: end. Because he he goes eastwards around the world, then uh, I think he loses four minutes for every time the the world goes around. So he he gains about five and a half hours out of his 80 days. Mm. Yeah, clever twist. Yes. Anything else notable?
1: Well, in 1937, saw Walt Disney produce his first full-length animated feature film. Which was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs.
0: Right. Uh, That was another cutting edge Mm. achievement at the time as well. It was. Oh,
1: what a talent he was.
0: Nobody thought that you could do a full length film. They'd had uh, a few Mickey Mouse shorts and so on, but to do the whole film. And a lot of those techniques that he uses in that are still the basis uh, of animation today. It's really clever stuff.
1: Yes, quite an achievement for one person yeah, from did. humble beginnings.
0: So talking of uh, celestial phenomena, yes. we were with Phileas Fogg and the yes. sun and everything.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, so there's something exciting happening today, astronomically speaking. We've got the, the great conjunction of the planets Jupiter and Saturn. If you go out of an early evening and you look to the horizon, to the southwest, right, and around the time about six, half past six, Tonight, you should see, a uh, clear sky permitting, uh, the planets Jupiter and Saturn with a naked eye. You see it uh, looking like a, a, a bright star on the horizon. That is, that
1: so just you see one bright star, but it's the it's two because planets.
0: they're so close together yeah. uh, that it will look like one star. So there are folks who have speculated that this might have been the origin for the Star of Bethlehem story.
1: When did this last happen?
0: It happens about every twenty years. Um, a a conjunction of some sort. Although they've never actually been this close as they are uh, to date since 1623. (laughs)
1: That's a lot more than 20 years. Yeah, it was.
0: That was the year when uh, Shakespeare's collected works were first published. So, yeah, some time ago. But unfortunately, with this theory about the Star of Bethlehem, when you actually look into the records the two planets would not have been that close at that time. And uh, there was a, there were several conjunctions in uh, a few years BC uh, with different planets, but this one doesn't quite work. So many astronomers and astrologers have tried to speculate what the star of Bethlehem might have been, whether it was a, a conjunction, a supernova, maybe even Halley's Comet, people have thought it might be. Unfortunately, none of the theories quite stack up. Blamed. It will be one of those mysteries forever. Yes. yeah.
1: So when is this going to happen again then, Paul?
0: Another 20 years, there will be another conjunction, but to have them this close again won't be until 2080. So I suggest that you get out there and see it tonight because it's a long wait.
1: To, I know, I don't it. think we're <laughs> going to be around, are we? <laughs> Good. Have you got anything else then?
0: Well, having said that there are astronomical problems with the Star of Bethlehem. I like to think of it as a symbolic event. And uh, I've got a little poem, which is about the Star of Bethlehem and the meaning we might attribute to it.
1: Okay, let's hear it.
0: The Star of Bethlehem by William Cullen Bryant. As shadows cast by cloud and sun Flit o'er the summer grass So in thy sight, almighty one Earth's generations pass And while the years An endless host come pressing swiftly on The brightest names that earth can boast Just glisten and are gone Yet does the star of Bethlehem Shed a luster pure and sweet And still it leads as once it led the messiah's feet O father may that holy star grow every year more bright and send its glorious beams afar to fill the world with light
1: thank you paul that was very nicely read thank you (laughs) (laughs) so you say the star of bethlehem nobody quite understands it There are so many things about the nativity, aren't there, that people don't understand, even though Simon is taking us through it at a very gentle pace.
0: If you try to look into all the details, there are a lot of conflicts even within the Bible itself. So, yeah, I think it's best to take it in its greater symbolic meaning.
1: So we're going to give you a little song now called Just a Tale. And from the title, you would think that it wasn't particularly a religious song, but it's saying that those events have influenced people's thinking for well over 2,000 years, isn't it?
0: You can't deny that.
1: Mm. So let's hear a song called Just a Tale by Howard Goodall.
2: born baby a baby bathed in sways of love and dreams but nothing in this stories as it seems for this one child this special child is beyond his reach to touch the life so many lives who come to know that truth survives how often does a wise man die because he dared to question why we live with fear and witness lies with tired and soft and seeing eyes how often does a man Flesh and blood have long since gone There was a baby A newborn baby Whose words would one day Warm the coldest night Whose sword was peace Whose gentle touch
0: Lovely song by Howard Goodall. He's a a good chap, isn't he?
1: He is so good, yes. Wonderful musician.
0: Most notable for writing the theme tune to Blackadder.
1: Yes, and the story there was that he met up with this lad when he went to university and they were having Freshers' Week and uh, this other chap said to him, and do you write music if you're studying music? And Howard Goodall said, yes, yes, I do. But really, he hadn't. And this chap said, could you do me a theme song? And Howard Goodall went away and wrote the Blackadder theme. And it was Rowan Atkinson who had asked him. So small world. And that sort of made him, didn't it? Um, Right, I think a lot of people are going to have time on their hands over the Christmas period, don't you? Uh,
0: Yeah, there's not going to be a lot else to do out there.
1: So perhaps people will be going out into their gardens and thinking, hmm, what can I do? Everything has sort of gone to sleep. Um, Is there anything that I can do that could be productive?
0: Are you looking at me when you talk about gardens and being productive? (laughs) (laughs)
1: you and gardening don't go together do you Mm -hmm. and we've got sally who is going to suggest a couple of things to us
3: here's sally although there's not that much that you can do in the garden at this time of year one thing you can do on a nice sunny day like today is take some hardwood cuttings. They're taken during the dormant season from shrubs, usually after leaf fall, so late autumn through to very early spring. So between the time that they lose the leaves and the time the new ones shoot. Anytime really while the shrub is dormant, but don't do it on a frosty day. Um, If you've got a nice mild, sunny winter's day like today, then you can take nice hardwood cutting from any shrub that has a firm or hardwood stem. Roses are very good for this, particularly if you want to do more than one. What you need to do is cut off a piece of straight stem, um, approximately 25 centimeters, that's 10 inches, and about the thickness of a pencil. Cut it with a straight edge at the bottom and a pointed edge at the top, so you can remember which way up they go. Then you need to insert them either into open ground or into a pot if you don't have the space, about three quarters depth so sort of where my fingers are Um, and then they will root very slowly but they should have some signs of rooting by next summer Um, so you can plant them out into your garden next autumn or if you wish give them another year to grow on and plant them out in the following spring If you want to give them a little added boost you can scrape off some of the top layer of bark, just a little, like this. Um, You can either use your thumbnail or obviously a pruning knife or the edge of a secretaire or something just to scrape it down to expose the lower cambium level. Um, This will callus over and enable or give it more of a boost to root. But They are slow to root but this method is usually quite successful. Anyway, I hope that's helpful. And you never know, you might have some extra plants growing next year. Many thanks
1: to Sally. I think we've all learnt something. Paul, you can go and implement some of that knowledge. I was uh, listening avidly, yes, Are taking you? notes. Absolutely. I thought you might be. <clears throat> let's, <laughs> let's hear from the Reverend Simon Lewis again with another verse from St Luke's Gospel.
4: Today we move away from Luke to a book from the Hebrew Scripture called Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. A child is born to us, a son is given to us, and he will be our ruler. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. This poem was written just over 700 years before Jesus was born. It was written by a prophet who believed... That a saviour would come to save humanity. It has been an element in the Christmas story since its first telling. The Christmas story. hmm, The Christmas story. The first Christmas morning has been told and acted so often in preschools and schools, in church. Yet no two versions are ever quite the same. The basic ingredients are there. The angel appearing to Mary, the shepherd watching their sheep, the three magi from a distant land, Joseph and Mary turned away at the inn, the baby lying in the trough. Yet, somehow, the six-year-old can manage to provide a totally different interpretation of a familiar role, or adjust the story to suit present-day conceptions. A small child's adaptation of that early morning in Bethlehem and the events that led up to it and followed it, can be quite disarming. These incidents involving castes and classrooms get shared with us all. Over the next couple of days, I'll share with you some of the great moments. Today, it's the rebellious innkeeper. A small boy was bitterly disappointed at not being cast as Joseph, in the school nativity play. He was given the minor role of the innkeeper instead. And throughout the weeks of rehearsal, he brooded on how he could avenge himself on his successful arrival. On the day of the performance, Joseph and Mary made their entrance and knocked on the door of the inn. The innkeeper opened it a fraction and eyed them coldly. Can you offer us a room for the night? pleaded Joseph, impeccably following the script. My wife is soon to have a baby. They stood back, waiting for the expected rebuff. But the innkeeper had not pondered all these weeks for nothing. To the confusion of the producer... And, of course, the delight of the audience, he flung the door wide, beamed genially at the couple and cried hospitably, Come in, come in. You are most welcome. You shall have the best room in the hotel. There was a pause. Then the youthful Joseph displayed the resource and initiative, which perhaps got him the part in the first place. With great presence of mind, he said to Mary... Hold on, I'll take a look inside first. He peered ostentatiously past the innkeeper, shook his head firmly and announced, I'm not taking my wife into a place like that. Come on, Mary, we'll sleep in the stable. The plot was back on course. Let me finish with this one-liner. God... Couldn't have made himself bigger to impress us. So God made himself smaller to attract us. But in today's world, we are so besotted with celebrity and success. We miss God.
0: Thanks very much, Simon. And uh, that's all again for today, folks. Um, So time to go and work out what we're going to do tomorrow. Do
1: you have a funny?
0: Uh, no, I don't really have a funny, but you were looking at me strangely when I said that I'd been taking notes about gardening earlier. I mean, uh, yes. I, I don't think you believed me, did you?
1: No, I didn't. I, no.
0: <laughs> what would you say was the difference between knowledge and wisdom for gardening?
1: I don't know. Tell me, what is the difference?
0: Well, I would say that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. OK. But wisdom is not putting it in your fruit salad.
1: Yeah, OK. OK, that's very clever, isn't it?
0: I'm glad you think so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, OK, folks, Uh, we look forward to meeting you with you again tomorrow. OK, bye for now. Take
1: care. (laughs) Bye-bye.